Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Can I just start with the, uh, with the vaccine? A lot's been said about this study, which suggests that one jab of the, I think it's the mRNA vaccine, one jab 12 weeks out is still 90% plus efficacious. Uh, is, do, you, uh, do you support that study? Is there, is there validity to this, do you think? Oh, but, you know, it's such a great question, right? And part of it was that the, you know, the, the data got released by press release before we actually saw the, the publication with, with the data in it. Um, you know, and, and yes, it, it gives away some of the goods. We, we don't necessarily get a, a full picture of what it looks like. But I think, you know, to be honest with you, it kind of fits with historically what we have seen with vaccines that, you know, listen, there, there is this period between the first and the second dose where, you know, it doesn't kind of, you know, suddenly hit the, the highest antibody level that, that you need right off the bat. It's a slow progression. And at some point, you know, kind of post-vaccination, um, you, you hit a peak. And that's, you know, again, where, where we want to look at when we start to get that second dose. So I think it, it maybe doesn't fully assuage everybody's fears about the extended uh, uh, delay between the first and second dose. But it provides a little bit more context to say that, you know, this was, in fact, a, I think a very informed choice by, by the people that, that made it. And they actually end up being a, a probably a superior strategy than, uh, than the actual, the, the shorter dosage. Now, what do you make, uh, Dr. Kendra Chuck, of the, uh, the concept, the idea of, uh, of, of mixing and, and matching vaccines? How, what do you make of that? Yeah, you know, so listen, this is something we've been talking about probably since mid-2020. And, and really, it kind of, it was born out of this idea of what happens if we hit supply issues, and not necessarily in, in North America or, or Europe, but when we start going out to the rest of the world where we have really high population density, uh, and, and we have some limitations in, in regards to, uh, you know, the, to freezers and, and, uh, and ability for access, can we go to a mix and match strategy? And I, again, you know, when we look at, at what the vaccines are and what they're meant to do, if we look at, you know, say AstraZeneca and then we look at the mRNA vaccines, they're using two different technologies, but they're essentially delivering um, the, the same portion of the virus to our immune system. And based on that, or again, our presumption would be that we would likely see that they would actually be very complementary. Does that, you know, you know, it kind of necessarily entail a certainty? No, but uh, certainly it, it would give us, I think, a lot of confidence that, that we should likely see some good data from that. So we have, we know provinces have changed AstraZeneca vaccine protocol. In Manitoba, where you are, uh, they'll give the AstraZeneca to those who received it as the first dose, I understand. In Newfoundland and Labrador, Nova Scotia, uh, British Columbia, and Saskatchewan no longer providing AZ as the first dose because of supply shortages. Quebec will no longer administer AZ as the first dose either. Ontario will no longer give AZ as the first dose, May as the second. Alberta no longer giving AZ as the first dose, and May not as a second dose. That starts, that starts to confuse people. So I had received an email from a listener yesterday saying, so am I supposed to be worried about AstraZeneca? And if I'm worried about AstraZeneca, should I be worried about all of them? And I can, I can understand that, you know, if you're in your stay-at-home frame of mind and, and, the, and, the, and the vaccine is the exit card, people worry. What do you say to all of this? Yeah, you know, the, so the, the difficulty for us, I think, is from, from a science communication standpoint, the, the unfortunate reality, I think, is that the public is seeing what scientists kind of face on a daily basis, which is this reality that, that science literally changes on a dime. And, and certainly, you know, this is part of the stress that, that comes with the job, where we're always trying to 
know, uh, kind of take new information and, and you know, uh, understand and, and tease it apart to say, see what it means. The AstraZeneca thing is, is certainly a very wide open debate. I mean, I, I certainly sit on the side of saying, listen, the second dose, we know that the, the concerns about uh, clotting risks are substantially lower. We're talking probably one in a million range. Um, we also know that we need to get people vaccinated. So can rather than having these second doses potentially expire and sit in freezers, can we move all of the, the, you know, kind of the leftover doses? Can we get those people vaccinated, especially the ones that sit outside of that risk uh, demographic that we know is, uh, it, you know, is kind of fitting for, for AstraZeneca and use up this vaccine? Because to be fair, in, in real world situations, it's worked very well. Now, that may change as the, as the mix and match strategy comes in and all of a sudden, you know, it looks like the, the, the mixture works better. Um, but let's not assume anything right now. Let's try and, and figure our, our best way out of this in, in the safest way possible. And that's what we're doing. I mean, that's what you're doing in the medical profession and in the uh, scientific uh, world. You're you're working your way through the situation without having the benefit of 20 years of research and and uh, to, to fall back on. Now, I think if ne- if if we never hear the word variance again, it would be too soon. But but we are where we are. Are we getting a leg up on, on, on this variance issue as far as COVID-19 is concerned? Or will this forever be a uh, uh, don't know what you're going to get next standby situation? And then part B of that, and they don't necessarily connect, but vaccinating children as well. Yeah, so it's a great question. So, listen, first of all, we think back, back to things like influenza virus. We, we face something, something very similar on a yearly basis, which is, you know, flu viruses recombine, they mutate, they change. So viruses do this. And they're very, very good at doing it. Um, but with COVID, one of the things I would say is that, listen, we've learned probably, you know, a few decades worth of material in, in the past 17 months. And I think we're actually quite good right now at understanding what mutations mean when they show up. So if something is identified, we can actually look at it and say, okay, it likely means this or it's associated with this. So I I think we're in a much better position than we were even three or four months ago. For kids, this is a bigger question. And and to me, it's it's not so much about the severity of of disease and, and risk of disease in kids as it is that kids still get infected and they can still transmit. So as long as the virus is able to transmit through the communities, there's an increased likelihood that we will see more variants and we will see people that inevitably get infected uh, in, in, concerningly in those high-risk groups. So if we want to fully mitigate transmission, we have to look at kids as, as being one of the arms uh, that, that is going to be involved in this. We have to do it safely, but we also want to, to try and ensure that, that we really cut off the oxygen for the virus. Okay. Final question for you. You're in Manitoba, and uh, so now emergency measures in place uh, again. And I saw some uh, some emails from listeners who knew you were going to be on the program. They also hear you on CJOB, our wonderful global news radio station in uh, in in Winnipeg, where this program also airs. And they wanted to know, really, to stay at home, really work because, as somebody wrote, the virus is just going to be waiting outside until I go out again. So does stay at home really work? What's the answer to that question? It, it does. And what we have to remember is that viruses require us and require ourselves to make more copies of themselves. So if you cut down that ability for the virus to, to transmit, once it moves through a person, at some point, that person, their immune system is either going to take over or they're going to get too sick. And they're going to end up in the hospital. But if you can stop them from transmitting, that virus can't move on and keep moving through the population. So that's why this idea of, of restrictions um, certainly works when you have high community transmission. Again, you're cutting off that oxygen supply for, for the wildfire that is COVID-19. 
Dr. Kendra Chuck, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you coming on the show. Always a pleasure, Roy. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.